I've been preparing today's message for a couple of days now, and by um, 7 o'clock last night, I had 12 pages of notes. <laughs> and um, so we had to strip it out a little bit, okay? So, uh, but I've just got some things that are really, that have been on my heart for years and years, really, and um, I'm just going to share them with you. But, you know, we've been talking about encounter about the importance of encountering God. And we've given some examples. Um, you know, Chris, if you weren't here last Sunday, I'll tell you what, I'm not just saying it because Chris is my husband, but last Sunday's message was awesome. It was brilliant. If you didn't hear it, go to the app, go to the website, and listen to last Sunday's message. Sunday before, I tried to do do it some justice, but we covered a few of the examples of people who had an encounter with God, and we saw, we saw the woman at the well. Do you remember the woman at the well? After one encounter with Jesus, this woman, this Samaritan woman, who was opposed to the Jews, but this Samaritan went from religion to relationship, just like that, in an instant, after an encounter with Jesus. She went from Penitence to acceptance. And she went from shame to fame. I mean, come on. How Pentecostal is this so far? Okay. But it's good. It's good. It's got a rhyme and there's got to be an alliteration. Okay. But she went from penitence to acceptance. Okay. We saw Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. The chief tax collector. And what did he do? He positioned himself for that encounter with Jesus. He positioned himself. The woman with the issue of blood, she pressed in to Jesus. Even though he had a busy schedule and he was on his way somewhere else, she pressed in. She was desperate for that encounter with Jesus. So three, just in that short intro, there are three different people, different backgrounds, different uh, gender, male, female, some rich, some poor, some well, some ill, some ashamed. Each of them with different needs, different backgrounds, different circumstances, yet they, each one of them had an encounter with Jesus. Each one of them. And their lives were changed for eternity. And I'm just going to jump right in. So 15th of September 1991, I had the same kind of encounter with Jesus, and I know that there are many people in this room who too have experienced, have, that, have had that encounter with Jesus at some time in their life. But the 15th of September, 1991, I walked into this big church in South Africa, in, in Pretoria, and I encountered Jesus. Um, I thought I was attending my daughter's water baptism, I had no understanding about Christianity. I had no understanding about God. Nothing. I had no Christian background. My daughter was getting water baptized, and I went to her water baptism. But I was shocked when I walked into this building. There were about 5,000 people, and they started worshiping God like we did this morning. And I remember walking in that place, and it was like I walked into a wall in a good way. I walked into a wall. I had never experienced something like this in my life ever before. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea 
But all I know is that uh, probably for the next two years, I bawled my eyes out. <laughs> and I still, to this day, you know, a bit like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, I cry a lot. And, um, but I encountered Jesus. I had no intention of becoming a Christian. None. But God had other plans. And that day, I experienced Jesus Christ. I experienced, I received him as my personal Lord and Savior. I had no, I had every misconception about what Christianity is all about. I had no idea. But that day, my life changed. My whole life changed. My vision changed. The direction of my life changed. I had been going in one way, and suddenly I went in a different direction. Everything about me changed. It's like the Apostle Paul talks about it, you know, that we've been translated from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. From darkness to, it's like someone turned the light on. That was my experience, and I know a number of people here have experienced that same thing, where my heart changed, my vision changed, my life changed. And the guy that was preaching that message that day, was he's dead now, he's with the Lord. He, uh, it was Pastor Ed Rapert from Hatfield Christian Church. That's where I got saved. And he was preaching a message that Sunday night on the 15th of September about Paul's Damascus Road experience. I had no idea who Paul was. I didn't know where Damascus was. Didn't care. But this was the message. So we're going to look at it today because we're talking about encounter. And we're looking first first and foremost, if you want to know who is Paul. Okay, so if I say Paul or Saul, don't worry, it's the same guy. Okay, Paul was initially known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. The Bible actually gives his pedigree, if you can read about it in Philippians 3, verses 5 to 6. And he says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, what what does that mean? (laughs) I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he was a Jew of Jews. You know, if you had a Jew, he was more devout. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He thought that he could... um, live this life in a certain way, adhere to the law, the strict law, and that would get him into heaven with God. That's what he thought. He was a Pharisee. He studied under a a guy called Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee. And these Pharisees are just religious leaders. Okay, that's what they are, religious, religious leaders. But he was, Paul, Saul, was an educated guy. This guy's not a crackpot. You know what I'm saying? He was an educated man. He could speak three, maybe four languages. He could speak Aramaic. He could speak Greek. He could speak Hebrew and maybe even Latin. Not sure, but he was in Rome. So possibly he spoke Latin. But he, as a Pharisee, knew the law inside and out. And this guy, Paul, went about having Christians um, arrested, thrown into prison, families were separated, and he thought he was doing God a service. He thought he was doing God's will by having these Christians persecuted. In fact, the first martyr in in the Bible is a guy called Stephen. 
And Stephen was a man, the Bible describes him as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. This guy was a power, you know, he was one of those power guys, Stephen, man full of faith, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. God was using him with signs and wonders and miracles. And along comes um, Paul, Saul, and Stephen was arrested. And Saul was consenting to his death. Stephen was stoned to death. It's a horrific death to be stoned to death. And Saul, Paul, was consenting to his death. He was agreeing. This guy deserves to die for his faith. He deserves to, to die. So he thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting Christians. So now we're going to pick it up. In Acts chapter 9, we look at Paul, Saul. He's just been consenting to the death of Stephen. Then it says, then Saul, look at this line, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. I mean, do you know what it's like to hear somebody breathing murder? You know, I, mean, I don't know. I can't do it. Praise God, I can't. But breathing threats, you know, having that threatening breath coming out. In other words, he was speaking like murdering, murderous threats against the disciples. But he went to the high priest, this guy, Saul, and asked letters from the high priest to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, the way was the first name given to Christians in the Bible, the way, and I love it because it shows that there's more than just a talk. There's a way, you know. As, as believers, we've got a way about us. I mean, it can wind you up if you're not one of us, but we're of the way. Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the way. We're of Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. But he found, he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, didn't, even if you were a woman, it didn't matter, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's going to throw them into prison. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Bearing in mind, this is now New Testament. Jesus has already died on the cross, okay? He's risen from the dead, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. <clears throat> and so Saul, he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But he wasn't. He was persecuting the church. But this voice comes and says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, Saul was worried. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a word but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground. <laughs> he was still on the ground. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blinded. 
He was literally blinded by the light. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. There's so much in there. In other words, he sat, he sat in blinded silence for three days after this encounter. He, Saul had an encounter with the living God, with Jesus himself. And then I just want to pull out some bits from this account. Firstly, this, he, he repeats this account. He talks about it in Acts chapter 22. So if you want to, you can make a note. You can read about it in Acts 22. He also talks about it in Acts 26, where he, where he relays the account of what happened to him here in Acts chapter 9. And, and we, we read in Acts 22 that this event happened at noon. So it happened at midday in Damascus, which is a desert region. It's hot. It's very sunny. <laughs> but a bright light blinded him. How bright was that bright light that had blinded him for three days and three nights? And I love the fact that Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, twice. He calls him Saul, Saul. And I think it reminded me of when Jesus was calling Martha, Martha. Do you remember in the account of Mary and Martha when Martha was distracted with much serving? But Jesus is talking to Saul and he's saying, Saul, Saul, yeah, give me your attention. He's trying to get his attention. And Saul's first response is, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. In those in biblical times, the name Jesus was quite commonplace. It was quite a common name. But Saul knew which Jesus this was. There was no doubt. He realized in that instant that Jesus was alive. What a what an understanding. What a revelation. But he says, who are you, Lord? And the first thing that happened to him, and I think to many of us, when we first encountered Jesus, who are you, Lord? Let's find out who is he? Who is he? And in the light of who he is, who am I? Who am I? That's secondary, though. It's first about who are you, Lord? I looked up, what is the definition of an encounter? And it means, it says, it's to be faced with or experience something unexpectedly. To, to be faced with or experience something unexpectedly. And I think that's what happened to Saul. I think that's what happened to me. And I think that's what's happened to a number of you out there today. Okay, that we were faced with or experienced something unexpected. Paul experienced something completely unexpected here. He wasn't looking for salvation. He didn't want to know anything about Jesus. He was persecuting the church. He thought he was okay. But I love that word in verse 3. It says, but suddenly, suddenly things changed. For Paul, praise God it did. And in that moment, in that instant, that encounter with Jesus changed Paul, Saul, for eternity. In that account, we read that 
Saul fell to the ground. And at first I thought, maybe it was, maybe it was humility. But I think, no, actually I think it was fear. It was absolute fear that he, that he, that he, that he sur- or surrender. It's just like, I give up. <laughs> you know, when you're confronted with a light like this and a voice comes from heaven and says this, why are you persecuting me? Man, I would fall to the ground. Because in verse eight, verse 6 it says he was trembling and astonished. He was petrified. And his next question before, his first question is, who are you, Lord? The next question is, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? An encounter with God will always generate an action or a response. A response. We cannot have an encounter with Jesus and then sit on our hands and watch the world go to pot. We can't. We cannot afford to do that. We cannot. This encounter that, that I experienced, that you've experienced, that Paul experienced, wasn't just for him. It was f- for all of us. It has an impact. The, an encounter with Jesus has an impact. There's an outworking. And um, <coughs> I love the fact, what that word that Chris had um, about being present where you are. That this is the day. Let's be present where you are. And I, th- I was thinking about that in terms of this message. Jesus doesn't give Paul the whole picture. He just says, go to the, go to, go to the city. And um, what did he say? Go into the city and you'll be told what you, must do, what you must do. God doesn't give us this map. He doesn't tell us, well, this is what's going to happen in the rest of your life. No, he gives you, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's one step at the time. So Paul, and, and this Paul is the guy who landed up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote 13, I think, 13 books of the New Testament. Um, and he had a revelation. He, his, his emphasis was that he had a, a revelation on the spiritual understanding of the new birth. He, if you want to know anything about being a new creature in Christ, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He, Paul had this revelation about life in the spirit. Read Romans 8. You know, come on, there's, there's so much. But he wrote so much of the New Testament. He's the guy that had this revelation that I'm a new creature in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. And, the, and that little description that Jesus also gave to, said to him, he said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's like, what's a goad? He's like, is that like a male goat? No. What is a goad? A goad is a stick that would be used to sort of, if you wanted to steer oxen as a farmer, not that I'm a farmer, but you, they would use a goad to direct the, um, the oxen to go a certain way to, to, um, to till the soil. That's what a goad would be. So, um, I've completely lost, my pl- lost, lost the plot. So, the point is, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, resistance is futile. You might as well give up. You know what? You can resist as much as you like. 
But resistance is futile. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. When the, when the farmer has that goad and he's prodding the cattle along, the farmer's not going to change his mind if the, go if the ox becomes stubborn. He's not going to say, oh, okay, ox, you want to go that way, that's fine. No, he's going to try and sow straight, straight lines so he can put his seed in. So it's hard for you. Resistance is futile. You might as well give up. Okay, if you've been resisting God, give up. Just surrender. Just, just surrender. There's no point in resisting any longer. You know what? Maybe there's no blinding light. But the Spirit of God could be, could be nudging you. He could be goading you with that stick today and stirring you up a little bit, saying, listen, I don't want to hear what she has to say, but it's making a little bit of sense. You know, the resistance is futile. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, um, like that light that Paul saw, he will, the Holy Spirit will, will, will shine light into areas in our lives. In Proverbs um, 20, 27, it says, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. And the, um, I like what um, Kenneth Hagen, senior, actually says. He's, he calls it, the spirit of the man is the light bulb of the Lord. You know, God speaks into our spirit. If we're born again, our spirit man is alive. That's where God communicates with us. And when we've got stuff in our life, it's the Holy Spirit who shines his light on the inside of us and says, mm, maybe this isn't so good, you know. But he will always lead us forward. He'll show us the way forward. There will be opportunity for us to, to just embrace truth. But God will lead us by his spirit, um, by, by his spirit in our spirit. So what's the purpose of encounter? We know that we saw from, from the woman at the well and Zacchaeus and all these people, there was an outworking. But what is the purpose of encounter? Why do we need an encounter? You know, we believe, we, 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 we went through the values at the, at the end of last year. Remember, the family church values. And we spoke about all the stuff that we hold dear to us, things that we treasure. But we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are spiritual beings. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We, be <coughs> we believe that we are saved by grace, not of good works. We believe that the currency by which we receive our salvation is faith and nothing else. So we've got a full armor. Our armory is full. We are armed to the hilt with every weapon at our disposal. So why do we need an encounter? Why do we need one? What's the purpose of it? And I believe that even this morning, during the time of worship, there were people here who were encountering God in a special way. An encounter with God will always bring light and life. And I don't mean light as in some mystical new age thing, but he will shine truth. God's, all of God's ways are mercy and truth. And so if he shines his light in areas of your life, <clears throat> he will always come with truth, but it's always accompanied by mercy. He always shows us the way forward. So there's no need to get condemned, okay? If God is shining his light in an area of your life, there's no need to be condemned. 
So an encounter, and an encounter with God will bring you to the place where you acknowledge you're in a place of safety where you can be totally honest about yourself before God. There can be this total freedom before God. You don't have to wear a facade. You don't have to wear a mask. You can be naked and vulnerable before him. God sees our hearts. He knows what's going on the inside of him. But we can trust him in that time, in that, in that moment of encounter. And once you've encountered him, you will have a greater understanding of his grace, <laughs> of his mercy, of his kindness. You'll have a greater understanding I think of it like this. You know, I know maybe it's only me, but I don't think I'm alone here. But some people experience um, rejection. Okay, just easily, feel easily quite, quite rejected. And um, now you can go to the Bible and you can read in the Bible, which says in Ephesians that I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in the beloved. That is truth. In Christ, I am accepted. So I believe by faith that God accepts me. By faith, I believe that God accepts me. And what can happen is when I can read that scripture, the Holy Spirit can breathe his life into that word. And that word can become a rhema word for me. So I can say, I feel rejected. I feel this way. However, God's word is the higher truth, and he says, I am accepted in him. I am accepted in Christ. But what happens in an encounter situation is that we experience, we have an experience of that acceptance in a more tangible way. Now, I do want to quantify that statement we don't need an encounter to establish every truth. Okay, very important. We believe the word of God by faith. We believe it by faith. But there are times in our life when we need that personal encounter with God about a situation. And I thought about it, uh, I, I, I thought about it, it's a bit like Zoom. Oh, man, man. That was awful, wasn't it, during lockdown, during COVID, and you're looking at Zoom, and now you've got all these little faces on the screen in front of you, and we're engaging. No two people can talk at the same time, <laughs> you know, it breaks up, you know, and you go, sorry, I didn't hear that, and it's awful. It's one-dimensional. Everybody's faces looked flat, you know, not fat, flat, okay? They were all looking flat, and um, it was just so cold. Even though, you know, you could try and make it light and fluffy and make jokes and do fun things on Zoom. But it, 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 was, just, it was just okay for a season. Praise God for technology that brought us through that, that awful time with COVID. But once restrictions were lifted, we were able to see each other in person again. 3D, you know, like I can see you in 3D again. And so it is. That's what an encounter with God is like. We read the word. We have the Holy Spirit who enlightens that word to us. But by 
in, in an encounter, we, we experience. There's more of an experiential outworking. And we're not looking. Please hear me. We are not looking for some new extravagant move of God. No, no, Allah. We are looking for any extravagant move, move of God. I'm sorry, I take that back. But we're not looking for something mystical, and now we're after the next move of God. That's not what we're after. But we, we need, there needs to be something tangible in what, we, what we're believing. Why? Because there's just something about God's presence. There's just something about God's, there's nothing better in this world. I love my husband dearly, but the presence of God is better. I'm sorry, and he knows that. God comes first. The presence of God, there's nothing to beat the presence of God. That day when I walked into that church and I walked into that wall, it was an encounter. It was an encounter. You know what? We can read about it. We can sing about it and we can pray about it, but we need to experience it. This is what's important. Sometimes, you know what? I w part of my 12 pages that I had to destroy um, in preparing this message was about Jacob. I had so much detail. I had so much stuff to share about Jacob. But you know what? There's a time in Jacob's life when um, he was <coughs> he was with, living with, the, with, with his father-in-law, uh, father-in-law, yes, Laban, and an angel of the Lord visits him and says, "You need to go back to your father's house." Remember, he had fled his father's, uh, the area where he was living in, because Esau, his brother, wanted to kill him. And then, twenty years had passed. He had an encounter with God, and twenty years passed. <clears throat> and then suddenly God says, I want you to go back. And I think it's so key that we do go back to that day of first encounter. It's important for us. There was something about that day, the 15th of September for me, 1991, that day when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My life has never been the same. And I often go back. You know, the, the Bible does say, forget the former things. Yeah, we're not going to go dwell on the past. I'm not going to go and dwell on my BC days because there was nothing good about them. But I am going to go back at times and I'm going to look at back to, that's, that's a milestone. That's not a tombstone. The only tombstone there was the old Sandy that was buried in Christ. I was buried in Christ and raised into newness of life. That's the only tombstone that I'll go back to. My burial, my burial, the old Sandy. Love this. So, we've got to have an encounter, and, we, and, and we've got to have this fresh encounter with God. Just think, you know, maybe you're facing a mountain. Maybe there's something in your life that is just in front of you, facing a mountain. It could be financial. It could be relational. Whatever that mountain is, listen to what Psalm 97, verse 7, verse 5 says, that the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. I just think of Zerubbabel. Who are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. That is not by might, it's not by power, but it is by the Spirit of God. Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. The mountains melt like wax 
at the presence of God. And we're not negating the importance of the word, standing on the word, but somehow the presence of God solidifies his promise. And when, when, we, can when we can be in his presence, it's like we get a different perspective. It's like we get a heaven's perspective. Suddenly our mountain doesn't seem so big anymore. When we start focusing on who God is, how big he is, man, this is a mountain before Zerubbabel, before Chris, before Sandy, before whatever, insert your name, before my name, you shall become a plain in Jesus' name. So if you're facing that mountain, start getting into God's presence. Before God, the mountains melt like wax <laughs> at the presence of God. Maybe you're lacking joy. Maybe you're feeling depressed. Maybe you're feeling a little low. Maybe you've got some needs. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Not half measure, fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You need something from God. You have a need. Get into his presence. Man, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Maybe you need direction. Maybe you need a, a, an encounter. There's, there's a scripture in Exodus 33 that says where, God's, where Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going. If I need your presence in my life. Maybe you're feeling weary. Maybe you're feeling tired, worn out. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent and be converted that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Yeah, that's, all, that's all I want. I just want more of God in my life. I, he's, we, we sing this song, you're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. Help me know you are near. That's the tangible presence of God that we're asking for. You know what our desire for an encounter with God can come from a sense of dissatisfaction and discontentment with where we're at. That, that's where I'm at. My desire for encounter comes out of a sense of dissatisfaction. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. There, there must be more than this. Come on. I, I, I don't want to play churchy church. You know, I, I, I love church. I cannot live without church. We eat, sleep, walk, talk, dream, church. Not just church for church sake, people. You know, you're in our hearts, you're under our skin, <laughs> in a good way, okay? You're getting under my skin, but in a good way. We love the church. We love it. But there's got to be more than this. I don't want us to just come here, set up, make tea, make coffee, do kids' church, send an email, send a text message. There's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. I am hungry. Who, who's hungry for more? For more. Let, let, then let's do something about it. Allow your hunger, allow your hunger for God and his presence to generate pursuing power in you. Allow that hunger. I'm hungry. I, that is, it's, called, it's generating a pursuing power to chase after God, to chase after the things of God. You know, we are not those who draw back to perdition. What does that mean, to draw back to, to hell? 
No way, Jose. We are not those who draw back to perdition, but we are those who push forward, who push in. We are pressing in. We're chasing after God. You know, out there in the world, there's a thing called storm chasers. Storm chasers. There are these people who deliberately pursue severe weather phenomenon. And um, mostly they do it, okay, to report it on the news, but I think most of it is an adrenaline rush. They do it because they want an adrenaline rush. And they are willing to put their lives at risk to chase a weather phenomenon. They put their lives at risk. So I thought, what, what does weather phenomenon have that God doesn't? Well, I'm sorry, there's no comparison. But you know what? If you want to become a storm chaser, make some notes. If you want to become a storm chaser, these are some of the hints and tips. It says, always carry a first aid kit with you. <laughs> always carry a first aid. Well, that doesn't bode well, does it? He said, it also says, get the latest apps. Well, what's the good of an app if you've got a severe weather fo- f- um, phenomenon and you, they don't work? <laughs> Just saying. The radio is your friend. <laughs> this is if you want to become a storm, f- storm chaser. Have an escape route. Have an escape route. Another one. N- never park under a bridge. Because just now there's an earthquake. Stay in your car unless you're approaching a tornado. Then what? You get out the car <laughs> and then you just get caught up in the tornado without the car. I don't know. But these, you know what? People put their lives at risk for an, an encounter with a storm. We are God's people who cannot survive or thrive without an encounter with the living God. Let's become God chasers. Man, if you need to take a first aid kit, then so be it. That's all right. But let's be God chasers. Let's be in pursuit for more of him, more of his presence in our lives. Let's put our time and energy and heart and soul into this. We are As a church, on the first Sunday of every month, we are joining with Haven't Family Church in the evening at 5.30. I'll put it in the email so you'll know where to go. But at 5.30, alternate months, we're going to have a time of worship from 5.30 till about 7. We're going to have a time of worship. We're going to have a time of prayer. I tell you what, we we went to the prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago. It was amazing. There were the gifts of the Spirit in manifestation. It wasn't, it wasn't harp. It was just the presence of God was there. And the, the Spirit of God was moving. And we, <clears throat> we all went into little groups, and Chris received a word, and other people received words, and it was just phenomenal. I, I, I want to be there. If the presence of God is there, I'm, I'm there. I, 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 can't, I can't be sitting around much longer. You know, time is short. Let's get busy. Let's get busy. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek him. There's, there's opportunity. Let's do it. Let's seek him. In 1 Chronicles 16, 11, it says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Psalm 34, 10, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, 
but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Let's be like that. Those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Let that be your cry. God, early will I seek you. My soul, my soul thirsts for you in a dry, and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. Let's be consistent in seeking God, in seeking his face. We're not just after what he gives us, but for him. Let's seek him, for him, for who he is. Let's not just be spectators, but let's be engaged. Let's be engaged. You know what? Someone else's encounter with God cannot change you. This is something personal. We each need an encounter. But when you see somebody else that you know they've encountered God, allow that to motivate you. Allow it to sort of <clears throat> be that goad. You know, I, I want what they've got. I want, but if you want what they've got, you've got to be willing to pay the price that they've paid to get there. Okay. But I want what they've got. And I tell you what, we are thoroughly blessed. We have been, since salvation days, since Bible college and coming to the UK, we have had instructors and we've had teachers, we've had pastors, both past and present, who, um, who I've seen and who I continue to see who are A-level Christians. They are A-level Christians. And that's, that's what I want. And I see it in the leadership at Family Church. I see it. I see it in others. I see it in people here. And I think, I, I want what that. I, I want that. I want that. That A-level Christianity. I, I don't want to live in an F-level. I want A-level. Lord, I want whatever they've got. And I'm willing to pay the price. So be willing to pay the price. But the way we do it is we create an environment in our life. Let's create an environment which attracts which is conducive to encounter. We, you know what? We cannot rely. I'm coming into land. I'm sorry, I know I've overstepped, but it doesn't matter. I, I really just want to finish off this message. We cannot rely on yesterday's manner. We cannot. You know, the, when, when it comes to the word, you know, well, last year God gave me a word. Well, good for you, sunshine, but you need to get a fresh word. You know, the Bible says, give us, Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day. We need a daily word. And I'm sorry, this isn't like a to-do list, but it is. If, this is if, if you're wanting more of God, this is the way you get it. You've got to desire. You've got to seek after. Get into the word. Lord, I seek you. Speak into my life through your word, through your spirit. In my quiet time, in worship, speak into my heart. Bible, when it, when it comes to prayer, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. When you're in the car, when you're in the shower, when you're cooking, when you're ironing, when you're working, whatever you're doing, pray. Pray. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Just keep, just keep those rivers flowing. Having a quiet time or noisy time, whatever you want to call it, but set time, set time aside. We cannot afford to be passive. This passivity thing has got to go. You can stay there. 
if you want. You can stay there if you want, but you're not going to get the desired result. The desired result is an encounter. Let's, be, let's create an environment which attracts, which is conducive. And I'll tell you what, one of the biggest things, become aware of the Spirit of God inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Become aware of the Spirit of God. Man, just Spirit of the living God. You live on the inside of me. I just want to become aware of your presence in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Do that during the day. Just stop. Just stop. Christ in me, the hope of glory. You know what? God didn't leave us as orphans. He gave us his Holy Spirit. And we, the Holy Spirit, he's our comforter. He's our advocate. He's our intercessor. He's our, he's our standby. He's our standby. He's ready to be deployed immediately. That's all we have to do, call on him. Holy Spirit, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm aware of your presence in my life. Thank you, Lord. That'll keep you on the straight and narrow. That'll keep you, that'll keep you joyful, won't it? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I believe this is an invitation Jesus is giving us today. Come to me. It's an invitation. He's inviting us to come to him, to lean on him, to draw on him, to, to, to draw close to him. No more procrastination. We're not going to put it off for another day. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And we're going to close with the scripture from Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is standing at the door to your heart today. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray.